Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. I wanted to spend a little more time looking at the heart today, and here's what I want to talk about. I want to, I want to talk about how last week we said you can worship God, you can worship something else, but then we can worship God, but if we're not careful, our worship of God is actually very self-centered and very man-centered rather than being God-centered. And worship can come through music, right, through what we just did, or as we'll talk about even next week, worship is our choices of obedience. And if we're not careful, we'll find that our worship of God through song or through obedience is really not for God himself, it's for us. We're giving so that we can get something in return. And my hope today is that we would just begin to strip that away and be a people who would be so in love with Jesus We'd see such beauty in Jesus that we would say, God, I don't care if I have anything else. I'm not here to get anything. I simply want to honor you because I stand in awe of you. And so here's the scripture I'm going to start with. We're going to actually get into the story of Abraham for a second today and share what the Lord put on my heart. But I just want to share this scripture to start up here. Uh, We'll put it on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. And let me just set the groundwork here. The Magi, the wise men, were coming to see baby Jesus. He had just been born, and they get to Jerusalem, and this is what they say. They say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Their whole purpose of traveling and coming to meet King Jesus was to worship him. It was not to receive something in return. They traveled. They came to encounter Jesus. They came to experience Jesus. They came to bring him gifts. And the sole purpose was to honor this king. It was not so that they could get something in return. And if we're not careful, I think a lot of times in our worship service, what happens is we enter in not so much to honor him, but to receive something. Now, let me be clear. When we, when we praise Jesus and he inhabits the praise, our praises, you better believe that it's going to affect you and touch you and move you. And you will experience healing all these things. But that's not why we come for that. That's secondary. We come to honor him because if we're not careful, we'll walk out looking for a feeling. And if we don't have that feeling, we'll say, well, worship just wasn't that good today. Or, man, I don't really like this style of worship. How many times have I said that? I didn't really like this worship. What am I actually saying? I didn't get anything out of it. It didn't give me what I wanted, but that's completely opposite of biblical worship. If we get no feeling or anything, we come to honor the king. We worship him because he's worthy, not because I feel like it. It's totally different. When I come in here, even if I've gone through hell during the week, he's still worthy. That's why we worship. If we let it be about our feelings, we'll come in and one day say, I'm just not feeling it today, but it's not about us. And I'll tell you what, I have found that my greatest times of worship, I feel like where it's the most glorious worship is where I just don't feel like doing it at all, right? Just this life has just not been going the way I wanted, but I can still walk in and say, Jesus, you are so beautiful. You're so good. You're so faithful. And in the midst of all this, God, I'm just here to just declare that that's who you are. Biblical worship isn't about the worshiper, and it isn't about the worship leaders. As great as they may be, and I think we've got the best, it's not about that at all. We don't come here for them. We don't come here to go through a set routine. That's why you see our worship may feel a little different, because we're not here for any one of us to appease to any one person. We're here to honor the king, and as he leads, we say, God, we're going where you're going. 
We just want to bless your name here today. You know, in the, in the biblical times, this was, this was a really, really important thing. In the Old Testament especially, the Israelites were surrounded by all these pagan nations. And their worship compared to the worship of the Israelites was so different. They would have what we call a, a quid pro quo worship, which is you give something and then you are entitled to get something in return. And so the pagan nations would come before their gods with a lowercase g, and they'd come before and they would go through rituals and they'd go through uh, extensive um, worship and, and do different things. And, and the whole point was that the, the greater the gift, the more extensive the ritual, the more that they were going to get in return. That was the whole idea. And so they were seeking fertility and they would seek, they would seek blessings and wealth and, 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 and good health and all these other things. But the reality was is that their worship was never for their gods. When that's what it becomes, it's actually for us. When we simply come to say, I'm giving you this so that I can get something in return, we're never actually honoring King Jesus. And what they found is their worship was actually just manipulation. I give you something, and I expect to get something in return. But the Israelites' worship was so different. Because when they would look at how the Israelites would worship, it was something of, of, of worship being expressed through deep love for God. It was not an opportunity for bribing. They loved, they loved Yahweh. And that's what God wanted his people to to do. God was called to be loved for himself, not for any anticipated blessings. That's why we come to worship, because we love him, because he's so beautiful. He's the greatest reward we can receive. We don't worship through song or through our obedience because we're looking secretly to get something in return. He is the greatest reward that we can receive. And he the Israelites were so secure in their relationship with God that they weren't being motivated from dread or duty. It was this love response. They delighted in God. They loved him, and that was the worship that God wanted. I don't want you to come here to try to earn something or being afraid of losing something. I want you to be so deeply in love with me and see how beautiful I am that you just, you just worship me for who I am. You know, as I was keep uh, studying about this this week, it's, uh, I, I learned that the, the Canaanites, again, these nations that, that Israel was surrounded by, they used to do sacrifices in order to get on the good side of their gods. And so, especially with nature gods, they would do all these different things in order that it would rain, or if it wasn't raining, they, they felt like they were on the bad side, they want to get on the good side, and so they would go through, again, all of these sacrifices. And I just love it, because as, as I'm reading this, I just, I, I see the gospel being interjected right here, because the truth is there is a cost to being in right relationship with God. There is a cost to, to, be, to be righteous, to be reconciled with him, but the good news for us is we don't pay that cost. The good news is, is that God paid that cost with Jesus Christ, and therefore there's no spiritual admission fee to come to the table because Jesus has paid it. Therefore, God opens up his table and he says, come, those who are thirsty, those who are hungry, come and feast on me and you shall be satisfied. The table table's open to any single person to come. All this was so different than what the worship was in the surrounding nations. And I share this because I think, I think especially in our culture, I think this is so, so important because I believe this comes from good motives, but worship has, has been said that it should be primarily evangelistic. So the primary purpose of why we worship here is to reach the lost. And that sounds really good. 
And so what happens is, is our worship is the primary purpose becomes bringing more people in. The problem is the Bible says our primary purpose of worship is honoring God first. Then comes evangelism. So here's, here's the misunderstanding. Here's the, the, the assumption that that makes is that if we can just strip away some of the things that man doesn't understand about worship, if we can just cut out some of these things that seem a little bit strange or might make them feel uncomfortable, we can allow man to connect with God. Here's the problem. The Bible says the reason why man can't connect with God is because of sin, not because they feel uncomfortable in a worship style. And what I believe is that what man needs to see, what I needed to see when I was lost is I needed to step into a place and what's not that I felt comfortable, but I saw people who deeply loved Jesus. I saw people whose hearts were burning for Jesus. I saw people who were sold down. I said, man, what is this? This is, this is a God that they know. This is a God that they love. When, when Crystal and I were, were not even saved yet, but the Lord was tugging on our heart, we went to Times Square Church, and to be honest, I just said you shouldn't say this, but it wasn't our style of worship, right? <laughs> but when I was there, man, I was wrecked because when I looked around, it didn't matter. I saw people that just loved, you could just tell they were there to honor their God. And some of them worshiped, some of them danced, some of them clapped, some of them just sat there in silence. But I knew that this wasn't some fake God. This was someone that they had touched and tasted and seen. And I, I hear it all the time even here. It's so many testimonies of people come in and say, man, the first time I came here, it was just weird. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't know what was going on. Like, this is just kind of strange. But then they also have to say, but something was burning inside of me when I was around it. Something was, I couldn't shake that off. And I'm telling you, that's because God's presence is inhabiting that. And when God inhabits our praises, think about it, he, he comes and dwells in that man. That's why worship can get so powerful. We just start weeping at times because God just comes in and moves. And he does that when it's God-centered worship. When God would take uh, um, the Israelites out of captivity, almost every time, you know what he would do? He said, I'm going to cause you to dance for me. When they were in bondage and they were just absolutely broken, when they were rescued by God, the people would always use to respond and just dancing and singing and just going crazy. How could you not? You were once bound. You were once, a, you were once a slave, but God has set you free. And so we want our worship to be God-centered, not man-centered. And the truth is, that's in, that's in our singing, but it's also, as we'll, like I said, we'll talk about next week, in our everyday choices, in our obedience, that's true worship, making our bodies a living sacrifice. That's what Paul says is our true and proper worship. And I thought about, and this is where we're going to go with Abraham, how we can often obey God, and follow God, but I think we've got to ask ourselves, is it really because we want to, we're so pleased in him, we're delighting in him, or is it because there's something that we want in return, maybe more than even God himself? And I thought about how this is so easy to do this, and I was thinking, even, even uh, as a young child, I saw a grave mistake that I've been making this week with my, with my boy, and maybe you can relate to this, some parenting. I realized that most of the time when I want Caden to obey. Gabriel's still a little bit younger, although it's, I've done it with him. But if I want Caden to obey, I usually say, if you do this, I'll give you candy, right? Uh, if you do this, I'll give you ice cream. And if it's really, I mean, if we're somewhere, it's a meeting, it needs to be quiet. I'm like, look, just be quiet. If you do this on the way home, I'll get you a toy, right? And so we do that a lot. But here's the problem. What we're teaching from a young age is that obedience is self-centered. 
You obey so that you can always get something in return. But that can't carry over to our walk with the Lord. That's not why we obey. We obey because we love him, because we're pleased in him, because we delight in him. And it's not about getting anything back in return. So here's what I want you to do. Just turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to read a few verses here. And the title of this message is, Who is it for? I pose a question as the title, Who is it for? Who is our worship really for? Who are we singing for? Who are we actually obeying for? And I just want to share, we're just going to spend a few minutes here and then we'll close with communion. I'm going to read through a few scriptures in Genesis. I'll start here. So if you need to, you can just follow on the screen as well. But I want to see this battle that I think um, the Lord shows us in the text of Abraham. Before he's Abraham, he's called Abram. Of whether or not he's following God for God himself or for a promise that he's been given. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3 says this. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here is a promise. Uh, here's a call that goes out to Abraham. And this is a pretty serious call. And I won't get too, too deep into this, but you, just, you do need to see that Abraham is being asked to leave everything. He's being asked to leave, it says here, his country, his people, and his father's household. And in this culture, the ancient Near Eastern culture, this was everything that you would have needed to survive in this culture. So Abraham's being asked to just give up anything that he could possibly put his hope in. As a result, he's really being asked to give up any, any confidence he would have in, in his inheritance, in his identity, his future security, the safety of himself and his family, his survival. God is literally asking him to put all this on the line and to follow him. And then it says this just a few verses later in verse 7. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land so he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. And I just want to share this. Right from the beginning, God gives this incredible call to Abram or Abraham. And he asks him to basically leave anything you could put your hope in and follow me. You don't even know where you're going, but follow me. But in the midst of that promise, God also says that you are going to have offspring, which would indicate that Abraham would have a child. And at this point, Abraham and Sarah are in a very old age, way past childbearing stage. And so they've never had a son. They have no children. And in this culture, to not have a son was huge. I mean, everything was based on the firstborn male son. It's who you passed off your inheritance to, your family name. We can't understand how big this is, but it's huge in this culture. And right from the beginning... God calls Abraham and says, look, you're going to leave all these things. You're going to give up all these, all these hopes that you could hold on to, but I'm introducing a new hope to you. And this hope was so important to this culture that I just wonder, Abraham began to wait and to wait and to wait for this child. He goes and he follows the Lord, and he, he goes through this season of, of really his family's questioning is, is, 
Is he crazy? Has he really heard from the Lord? He sacrifices so much, and there's no doubt that in this process, God is refining his faith. But at the same time in this process, you're seeing this desire for this child grow and grow and grow and grow. And in the midst of all this sacrifice, I wonder, the question that I, the Lord had asked me and I would ask you was, was Abraham sacrificing all of this for God or was it for himself? Because he knew that there was a promise of a child that would come at the end of this. And he knew that this was so important in this time. This was everything. And the question we have is, was, was Abraham truly trusting in God alone? Did he love God alone for himself? Or was God just a means to receive this promise? Did Abraham see God as his greatest reward? Or was it, God, I'll do that. If you're promising me a child at the end of this, my goodness, that's what I need more than anything. Sure, I'll go because I know what I will get in return if I obey you. And I ask, do you see anything like that in your life where just maybe our obedience to God is sometimes tainted by the things that we want to get in return? Would we still follow God if he doesn't give us the things that we so badly want? He certainly can restore. We, we've seen the miraculous happen here. Don't miss this. We've seen that. Understand we have faith for God to do the miraculous. We have faith for God to heal. But what if he doesn't? Is he still enough? Are we still satisfied enough? What if we don't get that promotion? What if we don't get that career? What if the restoration doesn't happen? Will I still say, God, you're all I need and I will still follow you? Is God still enough? Why are we actually stepping out? Is it because of something we want in return, or is God, is God enough for us? How many times have I said this? I will follow you, God, if. What comes on the other side of if? That's a competing God in our life. I will follow you, God, if. If I can still hold on to this, because this is, this is more important. I can't lose this. I need this. I share this because the Lord, people have spoken things in my life, that, uh, that have not come to pass, and God was showing me that I was becoming obsessed with these future promises rather than learning to rest in God himself. And actually, God was saying, what's driving you are these promises. You've lost sight of the love relationship with me, but Andrew, I'm enough. Would you still follow me if I take that promise away? Would I still be enough for you? This is hard stuff to think about. Are we truly satisfied in God where we say, Lord, you're all I need? How many times have you said this? I'll worship you, God, as long as. As long as this works out, as long as I get this, then, God, I'll continue to worship you. Are we like those in the crowds that follow Jesus, that wanted just their stomachs to be filled, that wanted just to see the miracles, but in the end, they really didn't want Jesus himself? That's why Jesus gave some of his hardest messages in front of large crowds. It's not because he hated those people. But he says, who's really here for me? And because he knows, he knows how good he is. He knows that he's the only one who can truly satisfy. Amen. And if we're not careful, we'll use our obedience as a means to control God to give us what we want. In other words, we'll obey God not to get God himself, but to get things. And what happens is we begin to keep this long checklist in our back pocket of all the good things we've done. And we say, I've lived a good life. I've done all the things that, that I'm supposed to as a Christian. Therefore, I expect that I'm going to receive certain things in return. And if I don't, I'll get angry. And that happens a lot of times. You know how many people walk away from the Lord because they didn't get what they wanted? They said, I don't understand. I've done all these things, God. And God has to show, actually, your obedience was never for me. It was always to obtain things. The moment, the moment anything we do is not for 
to receive God himself, when that's not priority, right? These other things are great things, but when we, look, I needed healing when I came to the Lord. I needed a marriage restored. So there's definitely, there's definitely good things there, but the moment that takes over just meeting God himself, it's, it's, it's dead. It's lifeless. When my prayer life is no longer about just spending time with God, but it's about doing a checklist so that I can get up from that place and then go throughout the day and say, Lord, I prayed with you, so now I expect certain things in return, it's powerless, the moment my scripture reading isn't leading me to encounter Jesus, it's just about acquiring more knowledge and so I can feel better, whatever it may be, it's dead, it's powerless. Everything we must do, everything we do must lead us to encounter Jesus. The entire Christian faith hinges on this, the encountering and the continual experiencing of Jesus himself. If everything we do doesn't lead us to him who is the, the source of life and living water, He's the bread of life. If it doesn't lead us to that, it's meaningless. If our, if our life is just based on the good things he's going to give us, but not him himself, that's not enough either. I find that right now in this season, if there's any time where this ministry becomes more important than God himself, that's the week that I say, I, I just want to quit. This is, this is too much because God is the only one that can truly satisfy and there's a story that uh, is, in a, is in a book that I love called Prodigal God. And there's a story. Just hear me on this, and I'll move it, move it forward. But this is really important. Just to see this, there's a, the story is about um, this gardener and this nobleman. And the gardener uh, has this huge carrot that he gets, right? And, and he looks at it and he says, man, this is, this is incredible. This is the biggest carrot I've ever had. He says, I want to give this to the king. And so he goes into the king. And the king lets him come in. He kneels before the king, and he says, My lord, this is the best carrot I've ever had or I ever will have. And out of my love and respect for you, I want to give it to you. And it says that the lord discerned his heart and said, This is a good man. And he receives and says, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you some land. I have a garden right next to yours. I'm going to bless you with that. And the man walks away. And at that same time, there was a nobleman in the king's courts who overheard that. And he said, my, 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 if the king will give that much for a carrot, what if I gave him something even better? And so the man goes home and grabs one of his horses, and it's his best horse. It's a black stallion. And he comes before the king, and he kneels low, and he says, my lord, out of my love and respect for you, this is the best black stallion horse that I have or I ever will have, and I give this to you. And it says that the king discerned his heart realized that this was not right, he takes the horse and dismisses him. And the man walks away completely confused and angry and bitter. And right before he leaves, the king stops him and says, wait. He says, the gardener gave the carrot to me, but you were really giving the horse to yourself. Sometimes we can obey God, and really, it's just so that we can get something in return. And I want to teach us that the heart of worship is learning to fall so in love with Jesus, we say, you are enough. You are my reward. And so in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, it will be on the screen. I don't need to turn there. Just listen to this. As this story is progressing, just to see this battle that's going on, it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't miss this. It says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your very great reward he says, Abram, I'm your reward. And listen how Abram replies. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? 
in this scene, you see that Abram says, Lord, what can you give me? I'm childless. But here, the Lord says, I am your reward. Abraham, if you don't even get a child, if you get nothing else, don't be afraid. You have me. And because you have me, you have everything. And as great as the riches are that God blessed Abraham with, and as great as the promise that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as great as the gift that he gave him the promised land, all of that is nothing in comparison to the fact that God says, Abraham, you have me, and I am your reward, and I am enough. In Hebrews 11.6, it says that, those, that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. What is the reward? It's God himself. The greatest reward we can have in seeking God, the all-powerful, infinite, majestic, righteous, holy God. You kind of, you comprehend that, that man, Jesus has made a way to have a relation with him. There's nothing greater than that. He is our reward. And the, the Psalms are littered with different examples of just how there's just fullness of joy in his presence and so on and so forth. But I wanted to share one with you. Psalm 119.18 says this, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Or it says in other words, open my eyes that I may see beautiful things. And let me just share this. Our cry must be, God, open my dull eyes, open my wandering eyes that I may see your beauty, Lord. God, that I would see you above all other things. Do you want to know the difference between slavery and real Christianity? Slavery says you better get your life together. You better start acting right. You better start serving God. You better start acting holy. You better start doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. And if you do the wrong things, you're going to go to hell. So, so wake up. That's slavery. Real Christianity says if we could just catch one glimpse, one glimpse of his beauty, Everything else would fall into place. Seek his face. Seek his beauty. If we could just see him for who he really is, man, we wouldn't have to be forced to obey. We'd say, God, I give you everything, Lord. You are so good. Maybe, maybe there's a man who can relate to this. But look, you can't love your wife until you meet her. If you do, you, you probably need counseling. You've never seen her before, right? <laughs> so, so... You don't know what she looks like. You don't know anything about her. And so before, before I met my wife, who knows what I was doing, running around with guys and, and eating ramen noodles every night and laundry's piled all over, and I'm thinking I'm living the life, right? <laughs> and then one day I'm just walking, and bam, I see her. And everything changes in that moment, right? All of a sudden the guys I'm with, it's like, I, I don't even know who they are anymore. They got to drag me out. All of a sudden, the things I once desired, I don't even desire anymore. All of a sudden, I have dreams of things. I'm like, what is that? I've never dreamed of that before. What's happened? I caught one glimpse. I caught one glimpse of her beauty, and it changed everything. And I'm speaking about two humans who are in very fragile and, and broken, broken people. How much more when we catch one glimpse of the holy and perfect God than we see him? We say, my goodness, you know what salvation is? Salvation, we're walking around dead with, with blind, we can't see, and then one day, bam, the glory of God comes and takes the blinders off, and we see his beauty, and we say, what is this? Why haven't I heard about this before? 
Truly, Jesus is that treasure in the field that's worth giving everything up for. There's nothing more precious than Jesus himself. Oh, my goodness, that we would be like King David. That we would be like King David, who in the Psalms said, Lord, you take everything. David was caught up in sin. He said, take everything. Take my kingdom. Take every blessing. Take every promise. Take it all. But one thing you can't take, your Holy Spirit. Don't take your presence from me. It's everything to me. And as we grow as worshipers, oh, God, there's something about it when our heart, that's our heart. It says, Lord, take whatever you want, but not you. You're my everything, Lord. And so I'll close right here. Abraham had a first call, but then he received a second call. And it says this. You would think the story's over. Abraham has a child. It's like, great, it's over. He got everything he ever wanted. This is, this is what he could build his life on. And then in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, this is what it said. A shocking call. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, I can't get into all the details of, of this story, but there's, there's a lot to this But I'll just say this. I want you to hear the wording. He doesn't just say, take Isaac. He says, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love. Take that thing that's so precious to you. Take that thing, that that promise that I gave you that you now have. And I hear the Lord saying, and let him speak it to you, saying, this thing that's so important, if you lost it, would I be enough? Would I be enough? If I asked you to lay this thing down, if I took this away, would you still follow me? Would you still obey me? Am I enough for you? And again, I can't get into everything here, but I know a lot of people hear that and say, this sounds really cruel by God, unmerciful. How could he do this? But understand, if God didn't intervene, the promised child was on a path of becoming most important to Abraham than God himself. I believe that's what's happening. And so God was testing Abraham for himself so that he would come to a place to say, God, you are most important in my life. This is the reason why it's not unloving. Is because when we build our lives on anything else but him, it destroys us. And God knows his beauty. God knows his value. He knows his worth. And so he's willing to take us in these seasons to bring us to a place where we say, God, you're all I need. Because he knows that he's the only thing that will satisfy. Have you ever seen a child with his father who his father's never around? So what does his father do to make up for that? He gives him gifts. Gives him gifts, gives him gifts, gives him gifts. And what happens in the end? In the end, what does a child really want? He just wants to spend time with his father. I tell you deep down, I believe that's the longing of every, every one of us. That at the end of the day, if God just gave us gifts and promises and all these things, but we never had him, it would get empty so fast. Really what we're longing for is intimacy with him. It's the greatest reward that we could ever receive. And hear me on this. Sometimes it feels like God is killing us when he's actually saving us. Sometimes God will take us through things, and we say, God, why is this happening? What what is this about, God? Have you forsaken me? The truth is God is trying to expose that we're building our life on something else other than him, and he knows that will kill us. And so he walks us through seasons of which he detaches these things, and sometimes they're very painful, but he says, just trust me. I'm, I'm what you need. Look through the Bible. Joseph, Moses, David, 
Abraham, the list goes on and on. They receive promises, and then God takes them through these seasons where they just become so broken. I just feel God just strips away anything that they could build their trust on. So at the end, they just say, Lord, I have you, so I have enough. God, God, I don't care about the position you gave me. I don't care about any of that. You are most important to me. And I'll finish it right here. The reason why, the reason why we can do this, let me just point the, to Christ for a second. The truth is this story of Abraham was always pointing to a, an even greater story that would take place. For many years later, on those very same mountains, there would be another son who would go up that hill with his father. But his name is Jesus Christ. And here's the reality. God told Abraham after he went up there and was willing to give up his son, he says, Abraham, now I know that you fear me. In other words, he said, Abraham, now I know that you love me more than anything else. The worship team can come forward. And I would, I would challenge you just to hear the beauty of the gospel here. If God could tell Abraham, now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you love me because you were willing to give up your son, but I did not ask you to go that far. How much more can we say of God the Father who did not spare his son for us, but went all the way laying his life down for us? If we could say about Abraham, he certainly loved God. How much more can we say about God the Father? Now I know that you love me, for you did not spare your son for me, but you gave him up. And the call here today is to, to rest in that love, to rest and be assured that God, God gave up his son for us, and therefore we know he's proved it, that he's crazy about us. And therefore I can entrust my complete self to him, and say, Lord, you're enough for me. You're all that I need. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.